Good morning, and welcome to episode 634 of Effectively Wild, the daily podcast from Baseball Prospectus, brought to you by the Play Index at BaseballReference.com. I'm Sam Miller with Ben Lindbergh of Grantland. Hi, Ben. Hello. How are you? All right. I got to the spoiler, Ben. Do you remember about 200 episodes ago, you caused me to completely freak out and lose it uh, over a spoiler in Game of Thrones that you didn't consider to be a spoiler? Yeah, I hadn't yeah. I hadn't watched the show at that point. I have yeah. watched the show now. Yeah. Huh, what, you, you what can, was you it? Could... <laughs> we'll spoil yeah. everyone else. I'm not going to say that. I'll, okay. I'll, I guess I'll type you, but... Uh, 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 Took you a while. You watched like 200 Good Wife episodes in between. I did. So... <laughs> So you can see, have you seen what I just said? Oh, yes, I see that. Yeah, you can see why I'm unhappy with you. <laughs> I don't remember what I said, but I apologize. It's not entirely your fault that I'm unhappy. I also watched the trial by combat, and I haven't really been happy in life since. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, all right. Today we're going to be talking about the Padres. After us, uh, Sahada will be talking to Corey Brock, the MLB.com beat writer for the Padres. Uh, in the meantime, though, we have Miles Ray, who wrote the annual essay for the Padres, uh, and has also written for Fangraphs, Hardball Times, uh, and uh, the Classical, and also Baseball Prospectus, uh, wonderfully at Baseball Prospectus. Um, so, hi, Miles. Hey, Sam. How's it going? Thank you. Good. Appreciate it. So, uh, yeah. So, um, you have an essay that's in the annual about the Padres. You also have an annual, uh, sorry, an essay that is not in any annual that will never run because by the time we uh, went to press, it had been completely uh, outdated and, and undone by the Padres' moves. What was your first essay about? Yeah, well, um, yeah, my first essay was about how how the Padres just totally faded into the background. I, th- I think my first line was, um, hey there, welcome to the Padres' essay. Um, you're a loyal reader, so you're reading this, but let's be honest, you, you thought about skipping it, because uh, the Padres, just for years, they they have this tendency to just land within like seventy two to seventy six wins, some sort of window like that. So it, it's it's just this um yeah, they're just totally camoed out. They don't they don't fail spectacularly, so nobody yeah, we've never seen them in that way and then they don't they don't ever get near playoff contention, so nobody's noticing them in that way either. So it's it's been a while that they they're just totally you could just that's the team you would forget if you were trying to list all thirty teams. <laughs> that's true. If you were doing that like sort of states game and you always somehow manage to forget Iowa, San Diego is the Iowa of of baseball cities. Um, yeah, it was. It was. Uh, it was at the moment I finished that first draft, and then I turned it in, and then everything and everything was changed. Yeah. So all right. So do you? Is there a reason that everything changed beyond? They got a new general manager. Can we just pin this all on A.J. Preller? Or was there something about where the Padres were as a franchise that was different this offseason than it was in the previous 30 or whatever that made this year the year to do what they did? Because I, I don't know what that is. I, that's why I think everybody tends to just assign it to Preller. It doesn't seem like they were in any 
better or any worse position than they've been every year. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. There, there doesn't seem to be anything about uh, yeah the particular circumstances. To me, though, the off season as as kind of crazy as it was, and just like one thing after another, a lot of it to me seemed seemed stone cold sober and very very logical. I think. If you're replacing a GM that was fired, just pure, like conceptually, just like period, you know, that, that means that things like must be changed. So I, I think that means that the talent at the major league level and or the minor league level is, is a mess. And all, and all of a sudden, all the, like, there's no motivation for you to hold on to those assets. So I think that. I think that Peller came in and, and evaluated the system and and found that the Padres draft classes of the previous however many years because they've switched GMs a lot uh, lately and and he just what he just didn't like what he saw there. So every other team who who you know they a consistent team that they want to hold on to the that was mid that middle class of prospects because those are their prospects. That's who they drafted and that's who they. have invested in. So I think Peller coming in though is like, well, this hasn't been working. The GM was fired. So these guys probably aren't going to work out. So all, all of a sudden they were super tradable. And um, that's, I think that's what we saw happen because it's, it's just incredible. I, I think you pointed it out. Uh, one of you guys pointed out earlier this winter, like if you could, if you could trade for Will Myers and Derek Norris, like period and hold on to your best prospects. then why wouldn't you do that? Like that, I don't know. Yeah. How did he talk people into doing that? Or what's your working theory for how he was able to get all these guys in one winter and, and some other team didn't trade for them or, or people didn't just say no. What was it about his pitch that worked so well? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I would have loved to, I mean, yeah, I think, I think maybe, maybe he just took advantage of the, of how highly prospects are valued in baseball, like at this at this point in time, I guess. So, like he he was offering, you know, ranked prospects, you know, guys who were who were very high in the Padres system, not at the very top, but you know, uh, the 13th overall pick from last year's draft, Trey Turner. You know, that's um, he was traded. So yeah, I think I think maybe he took advantage of just people who want prospects. If I could uh, give you, uh, uh, if I could interrupt with a hypothesis, uh, Jeff Quinton wrote um, about how the Padres managed to pull this off uh, about a month ago for us. And one of the things that was interested is that they were, uh, they were not, they didn't go out with a shopping list. It doesn't seem like they just called everybody to figure out who was available, and then if something was available, they took it. You know, they didn't. They didn't look, go. Oh well, we have a. We actually have a good outfield, and the world's worst infield. We need infielders. They just said, Ah, okay. Well, we'll we'll just take your outfielders. And so it was like kind of the old thing that they talk about during the draft, where you draft for talent instead of for need. And the reason that you do that, obviously, is because you don't know what your need is going to be in four years. But there's also something just to the idea about acquiring value. That value is the hard part uh, in getting players. Um, and, uh, so that, that if you would actually had started the off season and said, oh yeah, the, the Padres are going to go out and get, um, a whole bunch of outfielders and a catcher 
um, and maybe a starting pitcher, you go, oh, well, that's weird because they're pretty, they have depth in the outfield. Their catcher is one of their better players and pitching is easy to develop in, in Petco. They should get infielders instead. And they didn't do that. And yet it kind of arguably has worked or it hasn't. We'll see. Yeah. Yeah. That is interesting. Um, yeah, it seems smart to me. I think there's the perception that the the Padres are kind of have a, a hand tied behind their back with how many people in the outfield they have. But you know, I think it's this. I think it's the same good problem as like the the Cubs' wealth of infield prospects. Like that's a good problem to have, and and I think it works itself out pretty naturally. So there's been a lot of talk about the outfield defense and. The outfield defense paired with this pitching staff. Do you think that that is a season-threatening problem, or is that just one minus that you have to put up with because those guys could hit? Yeah, I think that's a, a minus that you have to put up with. Kind of going back to, yeah, there was. I don't think there was a, a mass. This I don't think this was the master plan at, at the start of the off season, but they the Padres took advantage advantage of the opportunities presented to them. So I think I think that's a minus that they're willing to live with and, and they are, are cognizant of and uh, it's going to happen. And do you think that the state of the infield is a... Uh, I, I guess I'm trying to figure out sort of, and I think Ben's question is kind of along these lines too, does it matter how bad your weaknesses are in this game? Does it particularly matter if you have a huge, massive hole in your lineup? if you're good everywhere else. There was some talk about this with the Cardinals, I think, in 2012, I think, when they lost to the Giants. Uh, And there was this sort of narrative that, well, uh, no team that is as bad as they were at shortstop and maybe one other position, like it was their seventh and eighth hitters were just so beyond the pale that it undid the the rest of their lineup. And I I think that that works because the Cardinals lost that series. But if the Cardinals had won that series, then we'd be talking about the benefits of stars and scrubs or whatever. Uh, so the Padres, you know, have a maybe the league's worst infield among all this talent. Um, is are either of these things sort of existential crises for them, or do they just get overwhelmed by goodness everywhere else? Um, I don't think it's an existential crisis, and and not because the infield is great necessarily, but I think the, the the cool thing about the off season is is Preller has shown how uh, impermanent a given situation can be. So there was there was nothing at the beginning of the off season where you know sometimes we can see a big off season coming like we could with the Cubs this winter, but we couldn't see that with the Padres. But but Preller shows that just just by being proactive, um, things can change really quickly. So I think. I think that's an area they'll they'll look to improve, and you know I wouldn't be surprised if if they did it. So I, I don't think it's great now, but if you know that that doesn't mean it won't be um, very different in a short amount of time. So the last team that had a huge, huge, huge off season like this, and then uh, relied on Brandon Morrow and Josh Johnson in their rotation, uh, was not particularly happy with the results. Uh, uh, is there something about the Padres relying on Josh Johnson and Brandon Morrow? In the rotation, that is unforgivable. I don't know. If, I don't know if they're relying on them because they have uh, Shields, Kashner, Ross, Kennedy, um, and Despagne. So they, that's actually, you know, I think those they their depth is good enough that um, Marlon and Johnson can be in the bullpen, or, or you know, they're they're not, you know, somebody's 
gonna get injured, you know, but because um, they're pitchers. But yeah, I, don't, I think I think that's um, I think signing Johnson and Morrow like that with the pitching that they already have was was a good um, low risk, high reward calculation. And similarly to the the outfield defense issue, there's also been lots of discussion of the lineup balance issue and the fact that there's a lot of right-handedness in this lineup. Or, you know, if it depends if Middlebrooks is playing third, then you've got Yonder Alonso as a lefty or Amarista as a lefty, Solarte potentially, he is a switch hitter. But for the most part, it's right-handed hitters. The guys they've acquired are right-handed hitters. And there's been talk about whether there is some significance to that, whether right-handed power is undervalued. Do you think that that was a conscious thing, or does that fall into the bucket with the rest of the moves where they just took who was out there? Yeah, I, th- I think I'll put that in the bucket with the rest of the moves. You know, I don't, I don't think that's a, a goal necessarily for teams to be all one-handed one way or the other. Um, yeah, I, th- I think that's just kind of how it fell. And then same thing as the infield. You know, there's um, a-, a lot can change really quickly if, if you're proactive like, like Preller has been. How does Bud Black still manage this team? And I don't mean that as uh, any kind of criticism of his managerial abilities. Just uh, it's kind of amazing that he has survived so many regime changes. It, often the new GM will want his own guy in that role. And, and Bud Black has survived four or, or even you could kind of say five changes at that level. That's difficult to do. Yeah, it's pretty. And also ownership changes as well. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. That's one of the great mysteries. Um, I, I talked to him the essay. He he is tied with Bruce Mochi for the second longest managerial tenure uh, actively uh, behind Socha. And um, Mochi's won more World Series than Black has had winning seasons. So <laughs> he must be he must be just a really a really great guy, I guess. But nobody uh, must must be a great guy. And why? Why rock the? Uh, I mean, each new GM and new owner must have asked themselves why. Why rock the boat when this guy's a good, good guy? I don't know. Uh, Russell Carlton has been writing about managerial skill in getting team players through long seasons, and Bud Black comes out extremely highly on that. I don't know if that's something that uh, the Padres are are aware of or were aware of, but it would be fascinating to know how teams evaluate their own managers. I feel like that would be a great reported piece to, if you could actually figure out how teams assess their own managers because they have access to all sorts of stuff that doesn't count as data and that um, would probably be interesting and would probably reveal a lot of terrible thought processes on their part and also a lot of value. Anyway, so Oliveira, uh, the Cuban third baseman, probably Cuban third baseman, Hector Oliveira is the last good free agent left, and the Padres have been tied to him as well. And I don't know if they're going to sign him. I don't know who's going to sign him. But it seems to me that maybe the most encouraging thing about this whole offseason is that the Padres have gone through it, done everything they've done, and still apparently have enough flexibility that they could entertain something like this, which suggests, even if they don't sign him, it just suggests that they didn't really uh, push themselves beyond where they can prudently go. Um, and that suggests that this is not a team that is maxed out for this year uh, at all or that doesn't feel like it overextended itself. This is not the proverbial all-in, I guess. And so every time I see a, an Oliveira rumor, uh, I get very 
kind of uh, I feel even more optimistic about the Padres. Do you guys? Totally. Yeah, it's it's kind of incredible because the their opening day payroll is only going to re- raise by a handful of million dollars, which I think you could you know count as just the price of inflation. I, I think that's the real kind of miracle, or I guess that's not a miracle. That's that's just shrewd business on Preller's part. That um, yeah, things things they have not they are not spending that much more money on this team than they were on last year's team, and. And their situation for 2016 look, looks great, too. So in 2016, the Dodgers are going to stop paying so much of Matt Kemp's salary, but we also have Upton coming off the books, most likely. Um, things like Carlos Quinton has a mutual option. Yeah, Ian Kennedy's a free agent. We, Will Venable's a free agent. Like, yeah, they, they're, they have not shrunk their window right as they've opened it. How would you expect Black to use those guys on the bench this year? You've got those starting outfielders. You've got Mabin and Venable and Quentin. Is there going to be a lot of substituting going on, or will we just not see those guys for days at a time? Yes, might be. Might not see. I mean, Mabin and and, uh, Quentin are so injured so often, anyhow. Yeah, we'll we'll have to see what happens. Has there been talk about moving Kemp to first base? Is that even a. No, they talked about Carlos Quentin at first. I haven't heard Matt Kemp, but they talked about Quentin. I've always kind of wondered that because I think it, it makes more sense. If, yeah, there's a lot of a lot of different dudes in there. I don't I don't know what they're how they're going to use each of them. All right, probably time to get your prediction. How many wins will the Padres have? Where will they finish in the division? So I'm going to say they. What did What did Dakota say? Uh, we're not going to tell you that. <laughs> oh, we'll tell you in a minute. Oh. Okay. We, we, found, we found last year that when we told the author, uh, it had a statistically significant effect on their on their projection. Oh, look at that! In well, a I bad do have way, a pro- by the way. Oh, I'm gonna say 87 wins, and I got I got a reason for that. Last year they went seven to twelve against the Diamondbacks and nine to ten against the Rockies, and I think <laughs> you know those those are two of probably the five worst teams in baseball, and I think. For everything the Padres did this offseason, at least they could beat the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. So if, if we say they improve by four or five games against each of those teams and then improve by just one or two games against the rest of the league, um, that'll take them from 77 last year to 87 this year. So I think they'll get 87 and second behind the Dodgers. So Pakoda has them winning 85 in kind of its raw projection format. If you go to the playoff odds, though, which uh, are based on 50,000 simulations and has a, um, uh, has a s- sort of strength of schedule is a bigger part of that, it actually pings the Padres a bit for being, or dings the Padres a bit, for being in the same division as the Giants and the Dodgers, more than for being in the same division as the Diamondbacks and the Rockies. And it has them winning 83 with a 40% chance of making the playoffs, a 20, uh, sorry, a 13% chance of winning the division. And um, yeah, it all it kind of just goes to to show that you can have this amazing offseason, uh, and it's still really hard to move the needle all that much. The teams are built over the course of you know great teams are built over the course of like five years, and um, there's there is still something very risky about what the Padres did this offseason when you consider where they were starting. But I like it. Everybody likes it. Is anybody anti Padre right now? They might be the most popular team in baseball, as far as like belovedness, as far as like uh, universal approval. Totally, yeah. I'm all for it. All right. 
Okay, so you can find Miles Ray on Twitter at Miles Ray and check out his writing at all of the sites Sam mentioned at the start of this interview. Thank you, Miles. Thank you, guys. All right, and stay tuned for Sahadev talking to Corey Brock. Welcome to the second half of the Effectively Wild podcast. I'm Sahadev Sharma, Associate Editor for Baseball Prospectus. With me is Corey Brock, Padres beat writer for MLB.com. We're going to be previewing the 2015 San Diego Padres, a San Diego Padres team that looks quite different from the 2014 version. And uh, I guess all of that has to do with A.J. Preller. And, uh, you know, it's interesting, Corey, this, uh, this job seemed like no one wanted it at one point. And uh, I guess maybe nationally or people outside of San Diego, I don't know how it was viewed there, but people outside of San Diego almost felt like Preller just uh, was uh, was down the list because a few people kind of pulled their names out of the running. Uh, but but he's he, he certainly didn't act like he was, you know, a 10th choice or whatever it may have been. Uh who is AJ Preller? Can we expect this type of craziness from him on a pretty regular basis? Is is that just going to be his MO, being very aggressive and and getting things done uh, on on his terms? Yeah, you know it's funny. Who is AJ Preller? I'm still trying to discover that for myself and uh, understanding that there's many different layers to the guy, and he, you know he's extremely private pretty soft-spoken and uh, by and large uh, during this offseason except when they had major press conferences at Petco Park uh, he was a tough guy to pin down and I remember this is a guy that was in the uh, Latin America quite a bit at all these showcases uh, Yasmani Tomas uh, of course they went down the road on him and so he wasn't around all that much so I've got a chance I've had more face time with him I'd say in the last two weeks during spring training uh, than I've had since he started the job but uh yeah, what a what a wild off season and, and so many different layers to it, especially when you consider that they, you know, they kind of put all their eggs in the basket in one basket initially on Pablo Sandoval, only to get turned down by him, and then kind of had to change directions a little bit, and ultimately it was probably for the best, uh, given what they were able to do. But uh, you know, I you, you mentioned a good point there, like can we expect this moving forward? I don't think we'll see anything uh, in terms of dramatic roster turnover like we did. Uh, this past off season, certainly they had a lot of different things to address, mostly on the offensive end. But um, uh, you know, I think he's got a lot of the pieces in place moving forward. Uh, they're they're going to help this team, um, not just in the short term, but uh, in some cost-controlled guys that uh, they could hang on to and uh, squeeze some production out of. But uh, yeah, this is nothing like I've ever seen before in my 20 or so years of covering baseball, um, from the big boys with the deep pockets, um, let alone the Padres who it kind of become an afterthought in the National League and maybe throughout baseball. And I think they've managed to pull off one thing without playing a single game here so far. Uh, they've become absolutely relevant again on a national scale. So we'll see where all this goes. But so far, uh, they've created a lot of positive buzz. 
you know, the the pitching staff, it seems like, uh, you know, you pitch in Petco, uh, you really build up your value if you're a pitcher. Uh, but but there's it's more than just guys benefiting from Petco, it appears. that the, There's some legit talent here. Uh, obviously, we know James Shields, and we know he's an innings eater, and, and you can debate whether he's a frontline starter or not, but but he's a, he's that nice vet that kind of fronts uh, fronts this staff along with Ian Kennedy. But uh, there's a couple couple names that that have some health history issues now. Andrew Kashner, uh, Tyson Ross had that. I, I want to say it was was an elbow towards the end of the year. Uh, Brandon Morrow, we know the long the long history of, of him. But there's also depth. So how important is that depth, and how healthy are these guys? Can we be relying on that trio to really back up? It's a, it's a nice youthful trio, especially with Kashner and Ross. But uh, how how important is it for them to stay healthy? Well, yeah, adding the depth was huge and adding the quality depth with James Shields at the end. And, you know, I don't want to say that he completely fell in their laps there, even though it uh, sort of get a sense that, the, that he did. You know, certainly their their major concerns in terms of priorities were all offense, you know, and certainly they kept their eyes open to see what the uh, the pitching market sort of held. And then, you know, as January became December, um I'm sorry, December became January, January became February. He's still out there. So he really solidified that rotation, allowed them to slide everybody down a notch, and you still have some uh, pretty good quality depth. And, you know, as we all know, anyone that's been around this game long enough uh, knows you never, uh, you know, never finish with the same five you started with. You know, I think there's only a couple teams that have managed to do that. And, you know, for as much as they'd like to squeeze a thousand innings out of the starting five, um, things happen during the course of the season, especially with guys, Andrew Kastner, as you mentioned, has been on the disabled list a couple times. Tyson Ross, he's fine. It shut him down at the very end last year. But, you know, he's only thrown in upwards of, you know, he's only thrown over 130 innings once in his career, and that was last year. Ian Kennedy, 200 innings last year. This is his walk year. So, um, you know, all the pieces are in place. I wouldn't say this is the best pitching staff in the National League, but I think it's probably one of the best, and I think there's some durability here, potentially, especially if Kashner, I tell you what, if he makes 30-plus 30, 30 starts, um, they're going to be pretty dangerous, but I think the Shields acquisition was really key, um, just in, in terms of what it did to solidify the ro- rotation, I think he's going to be huge in that clubhouse, um, already he's kind of had a real positive effect on guys, you know, guys can watch him and watch out he prepares, you know, no, no one can... Uh, replicate that kind of workload and um, can expect to throw 200 innings eight years in a row. I mean, it just doesn't happen anymore. He's kind of a throwback, I think. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think if, a lot of these guys that are still relatively young and relatively young in service time can learn a lot from a guy like that. Yeah, no doubt. It's uh, it. At the very least, he's a he's a great example. He sets a great example for the for the kids. You mentioned how that uh, Preller really went about uh, rebuilding the offense. Uh, how hard is it to to put together an offense in Petco? Is that something you know? It's it's kind of like you feel like it's the opposite with, of the Rockies. Is this is this something that it, they're still trying to figure out? What's the what's the right mix? Of, what's the right type of player, uh, offensive player, to succeed at this ballpark? And should should it really be a huge consideration? Should you just go for the best talent? Yeah, I think I think you hit on the good point there with the latter. I think it's about going for the best talent. And they feel that this ballpark. You know, it does play pretty fair to right-handed power hitters, and there's certainly a profile of the guy that A.J. Preller went out and got this winter. You know, you know the ballpark buzz, you know, this is my ninth year covering the team, and it used to be, in terms of it being a negative offensively, used to be very prevalent. Um, you know, we, 
it's not just the, you know the, the bigger dimensions here, but you know you deal with the marine layer uh, coming off that big body of water we have sitting outside the ballpark called the Pacific Ocean that you deal with in the evenings in April and May, and that could be tough to get an elevated ball out of the ballpark. Um, but but you know they they've made some fence modifications in recent years. The ballpark will always favor pitching, but it's a, a move toward neutrality more than it is a move to it. So you know they've done a few things there, and it's really quieted down the discussion from hitters. Um, uh, home hitters and opposing hitters. It's not, uh, we always used to joke calling it Petco National Park. It's, it's not as cavernous as it once was. Um, you know, I think there's some, there's some big ballparks in this division, and Petco is always going to be right up there. But I think, again, uh, if you square something up here, especially down the lines, you're going to get rewarded for it. And I think players kind of get that and understand that now. Um, will it be tough for this franchise moving forward to, uh, pull in top free agent offensive players when comparatively speaking to other places uh, because of the Petco factor, maybe a little bit, and maybe they'll always fight that. But, you know, the way Preller went about uh, building this this year, uh, you know, looking at the market, most of their work was done on the trade side anyway. So, you know, like it or not, this is now your home ballpark for, uh, for a lot of these guys. But, you know, I, I will say a lot of the guys that they – or a few of the guys they picked up, specifically Matt Kemp and Justin Upton, you know, had significant success at Petco Park with a very good sample size. So I'm sure that factored into their equation. Will Myers, he, uh, there were some issues in Tampa Bay. I remember something popping up about him maybe not being in the in the best of shape uh, coming into spring training. It, has that been an issue for him at all? Any work ethic issues? Any any focus issues? Uh, can can this be a guy? I mean, it, it seems like he could be a real steal because this was a guy who was a top three prospect uh, just a few years ago, and he he hasn't lived up to that hype. But but uh, obviously, there's still a ton of talent there. Kid that you know, sub twenty five, under twenty five kid that that's just extremely talented. Yeah, I think um, you know he, he's been fine. I mean, he looks to be in good shape. You know, the thing I noticed about him the other day, every time I talk to him or watch him, and or we have a long discussion, you, know, you shake a guy's hand or whatever, he has these monster, monster hands. I've never seen anything quite like it. It's like that Seinfeld episode with the man hands. <laughs> um, but anyway, um, I, I should probably share that with him. He's probably too young. That'd be lost on him. But. Uh, <laughs> Um, I'm sure your listeners will, will get that. But, yeah. Uh, you know, he's in, you know, he's in good shape. He's in a good frame of mind. Yeah, I think there's a little bit of chip on his shoulder uh, in terms of, you know, maybe the Rays gave up on him a little too soon. I know he told me at the uh, press conference there in, in January when they rolled all those guys through town that uh, he wants to make sure A.J. Preller wins this deal. And uh, I think his whole entire last year, he was never quite right from a health uh, health perspective. And, you know, his service time is still pretty low, you know, in, in, in terms of uh, games and plate appearances. So, you know, I think the Padres looked at that and saw an opportunity to buy low, a guy that's got some tremendous upside. The minor league track record speaks for itself. You know, they saw him play a lot of center field in 2012 when he was in AAA and think that uh, his athleticism will play fine out there. And they, uh, the, the defensive uh, doomsday metrics out there, um, maybe a little overstated, so um, at least from their perspective. So, you know, I think they, they're pretty excited about Will Myers moving forward. And he, yeah, he's uh, he's been driving the ball to all fields, which is sort of what we heard about him uh, coming in, and uh, it's been very good so far. 
Yeah, I guess uh, it was uh, wrist hand issues uh, previously, so that that can always uh, you know sap a guy's power. So uh, maybe maybe the Rays gave up on him too quickly, or who knows what it was uh, the exact uh, uh, what exactly they were doing there. But it's it's uh, you always notice that when a guy hurts his hand or wrist, he's just not the same guy for about a year or so before. uh, before that power really comes back. Uh, obviously another guy with a ton of injury history, Matt Kemp, uh, insanely, supremely talented, uh, but but just uh, has had trouble staying on the field and playing uh, at that at, at that high level that we're all accustomed to. Uh, wh- where is he at health-wise, and, and what, I guess, what are they looking for from him? Do they want, do they, uh, does he have to play to that MVP level uh, for them to get uh, value out of him? That's a good point. I mean, they're, they're going to be on the hook for him for a few years now, and certainly the Dodgers front-loaded some of that money this year, which allowed them to go out and do some, do a few other things. Upton, uh, James Shields, uh, but yeah, the Padres are going to obviously assume a, a bulk of that contract moving forward. And but they, you know, I think they're they're putting a lot of stock in that second half performance last year from Matt Kemp, and you know, finally healthy again. How good he looked at uh, being able to drive the ball, um, you know being pretty durable and now he's going to get a chance to move from center to right field. I think he's going to be able to hold his own just fine out there. And and this guy's been in a really good frame of mind. I'll be the first to admit, I didn't know a whole lot about him as a guy, um, you know, when when he was on the other side and uh, you you hear some things and I know there's been some scuttlebutt about Dodgers uh, chemistry issues, but this guy looks like he's uh, completely renewed um, re-energized uh, by this uh, process of a team actively seeking him out and wanting him and sort of wanting to build around him. Remember, this is one of the, the, the key first pieces that A.J. Preller pulled off. Of course, he went on to make uh, 30 other trades in about 15 minutes after it. But, uh, you know, uh, the Kemp deal, was, I think, was a, a really important one for them. Um, and, uh, you know, he's got a lot of history with Logan White, who, uh, who drafted him, who's now with the Padres front office. And I think they just feel like feel like it's going to be a really good mix and he could be a productive player. I can't tell you how many games they're expecting him to play. You know, they'll give him a rest from time to time. But, you know, he takes very good care of himself. We talked about the hip issue at length, which came up during the physical process. And he kind of shrugged it off that, you know, that – um, he kind of said, you know, all, all of us are probably walking around with a lot of things going on that we don't necessarily know about. Um, but uh, it seems to me that everything I've heard, this guy really takes good care of himself. Uh, he appears to be in good shape. He hit a home run the other day for what that's worth in Arizona. Um, but he's scoring the ball up. Uh, he looks fine. And I, I think, uh, you know, he's going to be a nice addition moving forward. They need him to produce, though. Let's, let's not make any mistake about that. It doesn't have to be 2014 second-half numbers, but uh, – it's going to have to be uh, something significant for this team to move upward in the National League West. I, you know, there's been plenty of talk about the defensive alignment in the outfield. There's no true center fielder among the uh, the three guys acquired, but but those are your uh, those are your starters. What what's been uh, Preller's or Bud Black's thoughts about the defense uh, the defense expected from the outfield? Yeah, you know, they went about making these additions. Uh, they're they're looking at they were looking at offensive upgrades. Let's not forget this is the worst offense in baseball in 2014 by a long shot. This is, you know, there was no splitting hairs here. This was, this was a bad offense, almost historically bad. So they needed uh, several upgrades. So they're, they're going through this process and they're, they're, as they're looking for these players and they're not being completely ignorant toward the 
what position they play or what they have to offer or what they don't have to offer defensively. But you understanding that if you get a uh, player with an offensive profile, that maybe on the backside there defensively, he might not be as good. And, you know, I think Justin Upton, uh, his numbers uh, defensively, in terms of defensive runs saved last year were better than they were in 2013. They think he'll be fine in left field. It plays pretty true. We, you know, the camp metrics that, that people keep harping on and hammering on uh, in terms of negative defensive runs saved, those all came in center field. He's not being asked to play that in Peco Park. He's going to move to right field, which I think, uh, you know, plays a little bit more fair. Um, you know, we'll, we'll see how that all shakes out. And the other thing, you know, I think the Padres uh, looked at this and said, you know, it's not like we're replacing eight gold glove winners. And <laughs> even though it's been a franchise that um, has made headway and, and when they've been good, they've done it sort of on run prevention, pitching and defense. But, um, you know, in Bud Black's you know, first eight years here, they've had, what, two, two winning records. They need to make some... Uh, headway in terms of offense, but yeah, you know, Will Myers will be a key one to watch. As I mentioned before, they, they're banking on his athleticism, that he's played the position in the minor leagues before. Uh, he says it's his favorite position. He's been working very closely with Dave Roberts, a very good outfielder in his day, uh, you know, on angles and uh, you know, reading the ball off the bat and things of that nature. So we'll see where this all goes. I can't tell you it's not going to cost their pitchers a few runs ultimately, but uh, what they offer offensively may uh, outweigh that. There's some interesting names in the infield. It's you know a, a lot of youth. Nothing. Uh, nobody's really had that breakout season yet. Uh, some of them haven't even had, had much of an opportunity to. But is there a guy that that you're keeping your eye on that said, yeah, look look for this guy. He's he's being overlooked, or you know that he's ready to just uh, take hold of that starter's job and 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 really become a force with the bat. Well, you know, they really need to, uh, it's two guys who kind of peg as potential bounce back guys. Um, well, more so in, in the bounce back term with Jed Jerko, who had a nice rookie year a couple years ago. Uh, he sort of plagued by injuries last year. You know, a lot of these guys, you know, before they made these additions, you know, guys kind of hitting in places they probably wouldn't normally hit in uh, based on the personnel of the team. But, you know, when you don't have much to, be, to work with and you have to rely on Jed Jerko hitting in that top third of the order, um, it's tough. And he probably put a lot of pressure on himself. There was a big contract in April and probably felt a need to live up to that and carry the offense on his shoulders. Well, you know, a lot of these guys, him, Yonder Alonzo, you know, this is a guy that hit 39 doubles a couple years ago. He's had some injury issues. These are two bounce back guys that I think no matter how wonderful these additions they've made and all the headlines, rock star GM, AJ Preller, uh, you need, you need the incumbent guys uh, to play up to the level where they've been in the past. Otherwise, this team's not going to go anywhere. Uh, sure, they may have improved by a few games, but you really need Jet Jericho to get back to 2013 numbers. You need Yonder Alonso to prove that he could be the player he was a few years ago after the big trade with the Reds. Um, he's never going to hit a lot of home runs, and people will nitpick that a little bit, but 39 doubles is 39 doubles. And, you know, I think you slide these guys down in the order now and put them in spots where they could be a little bit more successful, where could, they could see some fastballs, and I, I think uh, there's a nice bounce-back bounce uh, potential with both those guys. They're, they're going to have to go out and do it, but I think uh, they put the, both these guys in a position to succeed now. With uh, Hunter Renfro, I, I think the kind of the assumption is he's he's going to take over next year after Upton leaves. Uh, 
and Austin Hedges is is not too far away from the big leagues. Do you expect these guys to to stick with the Padres organization, or is anything possible? Could AJ Preller still be in the hunt for a guy like Cole Hamels? Yeah, I think you know, he could trade any one of us at any moment. Myself, uh, <laughs> the Bat Boy. No, like I said before, I've learned never to say never with him. And uh, you know, one of the things I asked him in the winter meetings before this big flurry came down was. You know, it's a GM that inherited an entire farm system that he had no part in building. Um, you must not have any attachment to any of these guys. And, you know, he agreed that, you know, you look through, look at these guys through a little bit different lens uh, when they're not your guys. And sometimes, you know, uh, prospects, your own prospects are valued a, a lot differently by other organizations than they are viewed internally. And I think we saw that with the moves that the Padres made this winter. Um, I don't buy into the notion, nor should anybody else, that they didn't give away, that they were able to keep all of their top prospects in all these deals. They give away some good players. Trey Turner is a good player and will be a good player. I like Joe Ross. I think uh, there's some other interesting pieces in there. Jesse Hahn, I think, will help the A's as a back-end rotation guy. So uh, while they managed to hang on to Austin Hedges, Hunter Renfro, uh, Matt Whistler, the guys that could help them out in years to come you know they did move some pieces to get uh, some of these uh, offensive upgrades but yeah i think the assumption with with renfro is um you know he needs more minor league seasoning he needs to you know cut down on that strikeout rate um you know i think the power is real i think there's some athleticism there i think he's got a, a plus arm i think he could be a nice piece but um you know he he, he still needs some time in, in the minor leagues and um, you know, it really has to cut down on those strikeouts. But what we've seen before, the raw power, uh, I think that's going to play at the big league level eventually. You know, Bud Black, whenever I talk to whenever I talk to people in baseball, I, his name always comes up as one of the best managers that just doesn't get the credit. And I guess that's not surprising when you're when you're in a small market and a team that hasn't uh, had a lot of success recently. But it's also hard to determine if a guy's a really good manager when you don't have uh, all you know all the pieces. And and even if you do have the pieces, it seems like they can never stay on the field. How good of a manager? How underrated is? But black and and is is this the year that we finally you know it's not just people inside baseball talking about Bud Black but you know once again he's uh yeah, or finally he's he's mentioned in the same breath as you know the Terry Francona's the Bruce Bochies and the Joe Maddens. Yeah, like um, you know not unlike players, these guys are ultimately judged by the success they have. Mm-hmm. For players, that's you know offensive statistics, defensive statistics, pitching. Uh, I won't mention pitching wins, but you know <laughs> other things. So, but you know the managers ultimately, they're, what are they gauged on? They're they're gauged on uh, their wins and losses. That's uh, really at the end of the day, that's what they have to hang their hat on. Um, and a lot of these things um, that's laid out in front of them is, is completely out of their control in terms of how how a team is built, how a roster is constructed. Um, you know, for my money, and, and Bud Black's first year was 2007. That was my first year on the beat. Um, looking at it, trying to look at it objectively here, I think, um, you know, this is a, a manager who probably uh, has learned a lot as he's uh, these years have gone on and has become a very good manager. He's a great manager of people, I will say that. You know, I think there's a lot of things that go on behind closed doors or down in that dugout. Um, that resonate with guys young and old for some reason and he has an ability to reach people uh, that I really don't think can be um, you know I think I think that really has to be recognized because I think that's a a real value of leadership 
um, whether we're talking managing or any kind of a, a leadership position. But, um, you know, I think he's gotten better. Uh, these, this is his walk here. They're going to, you know, I think they're going to take a look at if the team gets off to a good start or not. Um, and that will ultimately we'll have to decide in season here, is this your guy moving forward or not? You can't leave him twisting in the wind um, heading into the off season. You either need to extend him or do something else. So, yeah, I think he's gotten a lot better. Again, just a very good manager of people, understands the pitching side, uh, probably has gotten a lot better from the hitting side as well. Uh, his ability of total recall uh, is amazing. You know, I, I you know I have 17 month old twin boys, so I can't even tell you what I had for breakfast this morning. But you know, he could tell me about his uh, his third big league start with the Royals and what you know sitting in the team hotel and what he had for breakfast that day and uh, what that start was like at Yankee Stadium and you know talking about specific hitters. So I I don't know what the true value there is, but th- this is a guy that's very good and um, you know sort of the you know, if there ever comes a time when he's not a manager anymore, um, you know, kind of the running joke I use, even though I don't, you know, I don't like to ever think about anybody losing their job. I don't think that's that that's anything you poke fun at or make light of. But, you know, he would have he would have another gig in baseball of his choosing, um, you know, probably before he left the parking garage. You know, whether that be broadcasting, front office may hold some appeal to him, but he wants to manage and he wants to win here. Uh, it's important to him. He's a San Diego guy. He lives here. He went to San Diego State uh, University. So uh, he wants to see this thing through. Uh, they finally given him a team to work with. And um, the other thing I was going to mention uh, before I get too long-winded here is uh, during his time here, you, you need to look at the players that they drafted and developed even before he got here and the number of impact players that they brought to the big leagues during his tenure here. And you can count them on one hand minus five fingers. It's uh, uh, alarming. I mean, Chase Headley is probably the closest thing to an impact player that they drafted and developed on, um, you know, before he got here or even during his watch. Um, Nick Hundley, Will Venable, nice pieces, uh, but as, in terms of impact players, and especially for organizations that are, aren't going to spend a whole lot of money, you really need to succeed in the draft, and they just haven't done that. Uh, Corey, before I let you go, uh, I'm asking everyone this. Just not, This isn't a, a key to the season or maybe most important for the team. It's it's what you as a reporter, what are you most looking forward to for the 2015 Padres to cover, a storyline, event, whatever it may be? What's what's going to intrigue you the most this season? You, you know, people can sort of ask me a lot, you know, who's going to be the breakout player? Who are you really keeping your eye on? And I, I will I will point to a specific guy. I think Justin Upton is a really a fascinating character for me. This is a guy that was drafted 10 years ago this year, a high school player, went 1-1, you know, to the D-backs, and he was, uh, uh, you know, he got to the big leagues really early. He's still pretty young. This is a guy that's south of 30 still, um, and he is entering, uh, you know, he's going to be a free agent after this year. I don't think the Padres really have a chance to extend him, but um, this could be a monster <laughs> walk year for him because let's face it offense is down in baseball like it hasn't been in decades and um, you know where it used to be finding a true number one starting pitcher I think was the number one need across baseball I think it's power now I think it's uh, finding offensive production and I think this guy has it in spades I think he's uh, on the cusp of a a huge year here and he's on the cusp of a huge payday Uh, knows the National League West he's had success in this ballpark I just for some reason or another, I just think it's going to be fascinating to watch him for six months and just see what this guy can do. Uh, Corey, why don't you let the listeners know where they can find your work and where they can find you on Twitter? 
Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's uh, on MLB.com or Padres.com, or you could find me on Twitter at Follow the Padres, and I'm on Facebook, uh, Corey Brock. Uh, it's a journalist page on there. You could uh, you could find that as well. So uh, we got everything covered except MySpace, I think, and <laughs> Friendster. So uh, we'll get to those next week, maybe. But uh, no, no, I appreciate you having me. This has been a lot of fun. No, thank you. Corey Brock, Padres beat writer for MLB.com. I'm Sahadev Sharma. You can follow me on Twitter at Sahadev Sharma. Corey, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. You bet. Thank you. All right. That's the Padres preview episode. Thank you for listening. That is it for us this week. You can send us emails for next week's listener email show at podcast at baseballperspectives.com. Join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash effectively wild. Subscribe to and rate and review the show on iTunes. And, of course, support our sponsor, the Play Index, by going to baseballreference.com, subscribing using the coupon code BP, and getting the discounted price of $30 on a one-year subscription. I'm about to catch a flight to San Francisco, where Sam Miller will pick me up at the airport the first time we have seen each other in person since before we started this podcast, believe it or not. We're going to watch the Sonoma Stompers tryouts this weekend, and we will be back on Monday with a team preview podcast for whatever is left of the Texas Rangers by then.